Welcome to the Purposeful Fitness with Coach Ola, where I dive in deeper into holistic health and fitness topics that will help you stay inspired, motivated, and dedicated to living a purposeful fit life while pursuing for the Akhirah. Hey guys, welcome to episode number 26. I'm so excited to have you here and of course thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is going to be amazing because Steph and I talked about the reality of the fitness industry and the nutrition, the marketing messages that we constantly hear all the time and how women's bodies should look like and how women should eat and how a woman should work out. And of course, we talked about the idea of minding your own plate and what that really means. And of course, much more. Today's guest is Steph Gajo, and her mission is to help women create bigger, bolder, fiercer lives by building health from the inside out. She's a nutritional therapy consultant, author of The Core 4, blogger, coach, and podcaster, as well as the creator of the former Stupid Easy Paleo. If you have any questions about your own fitness journey, always feel free to email me about your goals, what's on your mind. If you find any of these episodes helpful at befitforakhir at gmail.com or you can always come on the website www.befitforakhir.com. Leave your on the contact form any questions that you have, any concerns or struggles that you are trying to overcome with your own journey because I'm here for you and I'm working on myself. So if I don't reply to you right away, please know that I am doing my very best to reply within 48 hours on my social media handles and on my email, uh, whether it's through website or through my email contacts. Without any further ado, let's welcome Steph. Hey Steph, how are you today? I'm super good. How are you? Fine, thank you. Steph, can you tell us about yourself and your story and how you got into personal training, fitness, and all of the fitness world? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, it uh, it goes back quite a ways. So I'll try to be I'll try to stick to the more relevant okay. relevant <laughs> parts of the story. I I've been in you know I was sort of an active kid and involved in sports from a pretty early age, probably about seven years old. I started playing youth soccer and I also was in a dance school, which if you kind of know me, you would look at me now and say, dancing? Like that doesn't seem like a, it would be a really great fit for you and who you are and how you move through the world. And my mom, uh, so I have a sister who's a year and a half younger than me. And my mom said at some point, you know, you need to make a choice between dance and soccer. And at that point, I think I was in grade five or six when she said, you know, you need to choose which one you want to do because it's too much between both of us doing, we were both doing dance and soccer. And so I chose soccer and my sister chose to stay with dance. And so that kind of began just my lifelong interest in movement. And to me, movement has served many different functions in my life and fitness. But for, you know, when I was a kid, it was all about having fun and feeling like I belonged to a team and expressing that part of myself. And then when I got older and I finally left high school and and became, I guess, an adult, so to say, fitness for me transitioned into something quite different, which was a way to control my body. 
and a way to try to shape my body by making it smaller. And that to me, that relationship with fitness turned from something that was fun and a way to experience the world through movement into something that was very punishing in nature. And so, for example, if I ate something I felt like was a bad food, I would then exercise more or harder or do more time on the treadmill or whatever it was. And I really went through about at least a decade of interacting with fitness in that way. And I was still very active. I raced mountain bikes. I started to run long distances. So got into half marathons and and even ran a marathon, which I will never do again. (laughs) I checked that one off the bucket list. And then in early, the early part of my thirties, I finally found CrossFit and learned how to lift weights. And that changed everything for me. But fitness was always a part of what I did. I ended up having kind of a negative relationship with it because I I did use it as a way to control my body to try to be smaller. I always felt like I didn't quite belong. I always felt like I was too short. My legs were too big. I looked different from other, you know, my other, my peers, you know, the girls on my soccer team or the people on my my mountain biking team, I just never quite fit the mold for what those athletes or what those people looked like. And so while I continue to be active and do all those things, I feel like that relationship is really not healthy. And so it's interesting because as somebody who now coaches and, and teaches people how to lift weights and why strength training is amazing, I always have to remember that fitness is very contextual and the use of fitness can be very contextual per person where somebody might be using it to relieve stress, to experience the world, to see what their body can do, while another person might be using it to regulate, you know, their caloric intake, try, you know, for weight loss. And and I can explain in a little bit why I think that's tricky or to just punish themselves for not meeting a societal standard. And yet, as a society, we tend to overall praise exercise. And so I think part of what I do now is help my help the people in my community and help my my group coaching clients understand how fitness is contextual and can work for them. And the fact that we could approach the same movements from a place of nourishment or a place of punishment. And sometimes the line between that is very subtle. So in the, uh, when I started doing CrossFit and learned how to lift barbells and I really, for the first time felt like I could experience really what my body could do. And I could stop worrying about what it looked like and how big it was. And was I losing weight and why weren't my legs small enough? And all these things that I had spent so much time and energy on in the past, I got to translate that and really feel the sense of freedom that comes with and the sense of expansion that comes with lifting weights. And and I know you've had that experience too. So I became a CrossFit coach and then I became a USA weightlifting uh, coach and coached Olympic weightlifting at a gym in San Diego for quite a few years. And so, you know, for me to be able to then help other people experience that movement, but in a way that's very positive and beneficial is really just played into what I do today. And of course, seeing how it's evolved over my lifetime, now I can really be empathetic to people who are coming from a background that isn't quite as nourishing and positive. That's so interesting. You know, and it's interesting because your story is kind of related to mine, except mine is more like food related, where like I would struggle with eating and like you said, try to exercise to replace what I ate. 
or let out the food to replace the calories I overate. And it's a cycle, and especially like teenager girls struggle with this a lot, I, I notice. But still women throughout, no matter what age, can still go through this. And like you said, with fitness, it's important to make it fun and enjoy it. Otherwise, it's just going to be really boring and you're going to lose your motivation like right away. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, and it's interesting to me. I think when people hear the word exercise in general, they just kind of cringe, you know, like, oh, it's this thing I have to do and I hate it. And I just need to grin and bear it or get through this workout. And I'm not saying, I mean, I, I love what I do now for fitness. It is challenging and that's the beauty of it, right? Like there's a, there's a healthy challenge there. There's a, a way to make it challenging enough physically so that you really have to concentrate and you really can't be, you, know, you have to be focusing and, and be present, which is really fantastic. But I think so many people hear exercise and they're like, oh, this is torture. I hate this. I just need to get through it. I hate every moment. When is it going to be over? And then they feel no connection to it. And I think that that's really sad because we are physical beings. I mean, so many people really can release emotions or process emotions through movement. We can get to experience our world more fully through more full ranges of motion, right? And feeling more capable and feeling like we have more autonomy and agency over our own bodies. And I think that that is so impactful, but shifting the mindset from what you were talking about to a more enjoyable way of doing it, it takes it, it takes some, some learning sometimes of, of how things can be different and then experiencing that. Yes, it takes definitely um, exploration to see who, what you like and, and so forth. But I also want to tell our audience that something that's interesting about you and I is that both of us graduated with a BS in biology. Mm-hmm. And then here we are in the fitness industry. So how did you shift again from like going to be a biology, from biology of teaching to fitness? How yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I taught I taught for 12 years. So I, I did I got a, a BS in biology with a concentration in human physiology. So right there kind of gives you this idea that I'm very interested in the human body. <laughs> I wanted to be pre med for a while. And I growing up was really obsessed with on um, I think it's on the Discovery Channel. I don't know if they still have these shows. This was a long time ago, but they would have shows where they would perform operations and they would show you, you know, someone getting a knee replacement or someone getting a back surgery. And I just thought that that was so interesting. And so I went on to study biology in college with a focus on, like I said, human phys. And then I was faced with a tough decision, which is what do I do with a biology degree and or where, you know, where do I turn my attention as I'm studying? Because a lot of my peers were going into pre-med. I knew I didn't want to go into pre-med after all. And then a lot of people in my program were going on to do bench research, which the thought of working in a lab, although interesting to me, I just thought I need more human connection than that. So a third option was kind of floated my way, which was maybe I could be a teacher. And I loved school. I loved school so much. And I have to say, being somebody that really, really loves school, would you'd think, oh, you'd make a great teacher. And in some ways, I don't think that's true because school was easy for me and I really liked it. And as a teacher, it was really hard for me to put myself in the position in the shoes of my students 
who didn't like school and who struggled with the material or struggled to feel motivated or didn't feel connection. So that's just a bit of an aside. (laughs) I think sometimes the best teachers are the people who didn't do the best or like, you know, get the top marks in school because they know what it's like to, to have to, to really have to work for it. But in any case, I ended up teaching biology and chemistry for 12 years. And at about year 10, I thought, is this really what I want to do with my life? I'm already 10 years in that went by really fast. I am not feeling like this is where I'm supposed to be. And at the time, again, I was, you know, weightlifting and I had started a blog about food and recipes in 2011. And this is right around the same time I started to think maybe there's something else I could do with myself, but what is that thing? And I didn't have a good answer. So I continued to grow my blog. I continued to share online about, you know, my own workouts and fitness and, recipes and nutrition and eventually got certified in as a holistic nutrition practitioner and then started to look into getting some some fitness certifications and then ended up coaching and so in 2013 I left my classroom job after 12 years and decided to take my blog and make it a full-time thing and that was six years ago so it's been really interesting to see how it's evolved over time how, you know, my own fitness journey has changed over time. I mean, back then I was doing a lot of CrossFit. I was competing in CrossFit. It was much different than what I'm doing today because to be a competitive level CrossFitter takes a certain amount of mental and physical dedication that then faced with running my own business. I didn't have that amount of energy anymore (laughs) because I was trying to grow a business. And so I transitioned at that point into strength training almost exclusively for quite a few years. So I would I was doing some powerlifting and then I was doing a lot of Olympic weightlifting. And it's only been in the in the last two years that I've kind of come back around to doing some other stuff. So I started doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu a couple of years ago, and that's kind of how I get my cardio now and and my high intensity intervals. <laughs> but it's been really uh, interesting to see how I've been able to make the type of fitness that I'm doing really work with my life. And and that's what I'm really interested in helping, helping women do, especially and helping women be less afraid of strength training because it has so many benefits, not just physical, but mental as well, which I know you've experienced and you help your, your community with as well. And, and so, yeah, it's been a really uh, kind of zigzaggy journey that hasn't followed a clear path of say, you know, get out of college become a personal trainer and then train people in a gym for a while. And then, I mean, it's been very non-traditional and I think that that's a good thing. And I think that the internet now and, and being online and having online platforms and being able to share via social media has really made that so much more powerful and allowed people to really take their own path with, you know, getting into the fitness world or getting into the nutrition world. That's so interesting. And your story is so related to me too, because as a biology major, I was in pre-med. I was kind of working to work in lab, but then I lost interest, didn't do well, all that stuff. And like you said, with the biology, you're like, what am I going to do? What kind of job? And personal training is a non-traditional route for a lot of people. But like you said, the world is changing and blog. Well, I kind of just started on Facebook, someone blogs, and then here I am, (laughs) started my business, which is a big journey. Mm-hmm. So walking from our stories and how we got into fitness, then tell me 
I know you're passionate about diet culture. So can you walk us through how women can shift their mindset from dieting to accepting their body and enjoying what they eat? Mm, that's a that's a big one. <laughs> I think I think the first thing to realize, oh, there's a lot to unpack there. But I think the first thing to to realize is that the way many women experience the world in terms of the messages that they receive from the outside world, right? Whether that's friends, family, peer group, social media, actual media, healthcare professionals, fitness professionals. You know, if you walk into a gym, what are they going to recommend? Are they going to take your body fat with calipers? Are they going to recommend you get on a weight loss program? I mean, we are bombarded by the world telling us what we should be doing with ourselves and our bodies and what the right thing to do with ourselves and our bodies is. And we are very often presented with a homogeneous picture of what it looks like to be healthy, well, and fit. And I think starting with the realization that we have been absorbing these messages since we are very young and that there's also another path that we can choose, but the dominant messaging is very, right? Got to lose 10 pounds. Every, every woman's on a diet. Every woman's got to lose 10 or 20 pounds. If you just lose weight, you're going to be happy. If you just lose weight, you're going to um, you know, be able to do all these things with your life. And I think that first realizing that we're we're kind of in that milieu of messaging is one of the first steps for people and to start editing the the messaging that they are receiving. And I know that that's hard because, for example, we don't have mainstream television. We don't even own a television. We, we watch Netflix and we watch it on a projector that's projected onto our closet doors. So we don't have actual cable TV. And yet when I go with I, I go visit my mom and I, I watch, they've got TV and it's on 24 seven there almost. And I, I see the regular commercials, for example, that if I were watching the today show or I, I were watching a daytime television, what would I see? Well, daytime television is more aimed at women because women oftentimes are in the home working, caring for children or caring for the home or whatever it is. I watch the messaging that women are receiving and I'm I, right there. That's a huge you know, that's what we're hearing. That's what we're seeing. So editing the messaging that you're receiving is huge. And I think that people like you are doing an amazing thing because you are sharing from your own perspective. You are sharing from your own experience. You're saying, you know, my faith is a really important part of who I am. And, and this is what I do. And I can count on one hand, the amount of people in the fitness world who are doing what you're doing. There's hardly anyone. And I think that that's, at, that's great. And that's also a huge disservice because we need to, we as a society need to get on board with the fact that not everybody who participates in fitness is going to look a certain way, which is usually thin, white, uh, able-bodied, right? Like, you know, kind of wearing yoga pants and a a sports bra, right? And like doing a certain way of exercise. Like we have this picture and it's not just a mental picture because when you go and you look on 
Instagram, or sorry, when you go on uh, Google, when you go on Instagram too, but you go on Google and you look up, you know, fit woman, yeah. what is, what are you going to see that yeah. we're going to see that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that people who are doing the things that you're doing is very, very, very important, very important. And I, I wish there were more people and I, I think we're getting there. I think we're starting to see more diversification, more inclusion, but we have a long way to go. So there's all of that aspect of diet culture and how it fits into the fitness world. But I think for me, the messaging that I'm trying to move people toward, or at least share and have them consider other perspectives is rooted in my own experience, which was, guess what? I I was trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight, trying to fit a certain mold, pinching my and poking and prodding at my body, hating on myself for not looking a certain way. And it never made me any happier. It, it never, I never felt like I arrived at that moment. And even I remember stepping on the scale when I was in my triathlon days and finally seeing the lowest weight that I had seen in probably my whole adult life. And my, my initial response was, yay, I got there. And then the next thing I thought was, oh, it's not enough. And so the thing I'm trying to, to help people understand and have an awareness of is that a weight loss does not always equal happiness. And even if it does bring you momentary happiness, the things that you're hoping it will solve or fix for you are usually still there after you've lost the weight. Two, that oftentimes weight loss is incredibly hard to maintain for a long period of time. And a lot of people who lose weight, especially a significant amount of weight, will gain some back, if not all. So if we think that weight loss and losing all the weight is the holy grail, and then we lose the weight, but then we gain the weight back, what does that mean about us? Yes. Right? Yeah. And and then the third thing I really try to help people consider, and I can only put these things out there for consideration and talk about it. Like I can't force people to change their minds. I just hope that by living by example and presenting alternatives that people will begin to see what's possible for them. The way I look at it is this. If first we have to build health, we have to work on our health. And there are a multitude of different ways to do that. Food is not the only way that we improve our health, by the way, right? We know that uh, movement is important. Stress management is important. Sleep is important. Meaningful connections and relationships are important. Faith or spirituality can be very important. Unpacking old stuff and dealing with our past and our our baggage is important. There are lots of different things that we need to do. We can't just eat a perfect diet and expect that we're going to become healthier. But first we have to build health. And if and only if that happens, then if we were holding on to excess weight for some reason, then the body will in some cases release that excess weight. And so the way most people come into understanding weight loss is I just need to control my caloric intake and move a lot and eat a lot less. And therefore, I'm going to force my body into weight loss. And sometimes that does happen. But again, what is the reverse? If you stop doing those things or you reach a plateau where you've cut your caloric intake down so much that now you you can't go any lower because now your metabolism begins to slow down as well and you've reached the 1200 calorie or less mark and you're, you're, you just are barely hanging on because you don't have enough fuel to even keep your body functions really thriving. Right. So we can, we can approach it from the like lose weight, get healthier 
aspect, but all weight loss does not equate to more health, right? Which we could look at in a variety of different ways. We could track a multitude of different markers of health and wellness, not just weight. Or we could look at what are the lifestyle factors that I can positively impact to improve my health. You know, and especially from a nutritional therapy standpoint, we think about food quality, we think about digestion, we think about blood sugar management, we think about mineral balance and fatty acids and hydration. If we can, and that's just the food aspect of it, but if we can work on those things and improve our health, then yes, sometimes we see a body recomposition, but there's no guarantees, right? And oftentimes the weight that we expect our body is going to come to, we, you know, had, I don't even know, where do we get this stuff? Cosmopolitan magazine that we read when we were 14 and we, we thought, oh, the ideal weight for a woman is 125 pounds or the BMI scale. And I just had this happen to me two weeks ago. I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, everything is great. You're super healthy. All this great stuff. You have great lifestyle. You don't drink. You don't smoke. You eat, you eat well. You exercise five times a week for an hour a day. Like all these are things. By the way, your BMI, you should probably lose a few pounds. Oh, my gosh. I can relate. I'll tell you a story. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So we have this, this thing of, right, we've confounded health with scale weight. And they may, they may be correlated. But we can't make that definitive distinction. And so I think sometimes, you know, getting real about like, I'm, you know, I'm a 40 year old woman. I'm, I'm not going to be the weight that I expected I was going to be when I was 14. And I haven't even had children. And I think, you know, for women that have gone through that season of life and have had children, their bodies are changing in even different ways. And then, you know, Perry, I'm on the door of perimenopause and then menopause, like how will my body change coming up? I don't know. But I think there's a lot, oh, there's so much that goes into it. And I just wish that people would kind of understand that those things are possibilities and that if we work on our health and we improve our health and our life is better in so many other aspects and the scale still has not gone down, if we're upset about that, we need to start asking why and looking at the worth that we place on ourselves and the value we place on ourselves because of those societal constructs and how we see ourselves in the world and as a human being. And that's not an easy thing to do. You know, when I talk about this, I think people are like, oh, you make it sound like it's so easy. I mean, I've been working on this for 10 years of my life personally and changing how I think about it and how I see it. And when I see a person who's in a bigger body, what are the first thoughts that go through my mind? Yeah. And, right. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a health, or I'm a, a nutrition professional and a fitness professional. Like if, what are the things I think of and where is that coming from? And, and how does that impact how I potentially view and treat that person? And so it, it takes work. It is not an easy process, but I think if you ask the average woman, my age, you know, how is, how is that diet? How is all this years of dieting working out for you? The answer would be, it's not, I mean, it's not, it's not the deprivation, the punishment, the, I'm just going to talk bad to myself and hope that that's motivating. I'm going to do things because I'm afraid if I don't lose weight, then I won't be visible or I'll, I'll lose my relationship or I won't be able to advance in the world or whatever it is. I mean, these are big conversations. It's so interesting. Like I have so much to say to this too. 
Well, first of all, I'm 28. I'm turning 29 this summer. So I'm like freaking out what happens when I become 30. My metabolism is going to slow down. And like you said, the whole body image, like I struggled a lot in high school and stuff. But it does creep. It actually has been creeping back into me um, re- recently. And it's a bad thing because I'm like going back to my old days. Like, oh my gosh, I have a fat belly. <laughs> I'm a fitness professional. Like I have a, like, you know, um, flappy arms kind of. Like I have, you know, my, my biceps are finally building up. But I started looking at the mirror and started questioning myself. Like, why do I look like this? I should not look like this. I should be more fit, more thinner. Especially like I am a fitness professional, as, as I said. And, the, and another thing is that I did participate in a study at Mason for nutrition. Mm-hmm. And she did take my um, fat percentage and I was really high and I was kind of mad at myself. Like, how did I get to that level? But then being active, doing multiple things like, you know, I, I don't measure myself as often it's because it's on my bottom list, but I've accepted my body. I like what I what I have. And so just like a few days ago and stuff. But it as I said, it takes years. Like It's not going to happen like in a year or in a one day. Like it's a continuous work. And just keep talking positive to yourself, like be happy with, with your body and like keep working on it. And I had someone like reach out to me on Instagram telling me, like what you said, the whole messaging that we hear throughout the fitness industry, on the media, everywhere, that it's not about being skinny. It's not about looking like sexy, all that kind of stuff. It's about being healthy. And that's what we need to focus on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know... <clears throat> My husband's been reading some old Dan John books, which if you know Dan John, he's uh, kind of an old school strength and conditioning coach who is at the collegiate level and coached a lot, you know, essentially in the weight room, coached collegiate athletes. And and I love his definition of fitness, which is essentially your ability to do a task, to complete a task, yes. right? Your ability to do a certain thing. It's so simple. It's such a simple definition, but things that we confound with fitness, aesthetics, mm-hmm. right? We assume that if someone is lean and ripped that they have that they are 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 fit to do a certain task which isn't always necessarily the case and we also assume the reverse which is if someone is not lean and ripped and like 10% body fat that they cannot complete a task and that they are not fit and so too often right obviously social media has made this very easy to do which is to you know it's it's especially if platforms like Instagram are so communicated through images and imagery. And if you are the lean, you know, eight pack dude trainer or chick who just looks, you know, like a, a, a stereotypical kind of fitness model. And you also happen to be a fitness professional. then there is that confounding of, okay, well you have the, you have an aesthetic and we assume that you must have a particular level of fitness. And sometimes those things do correlate. I mean, uh, I think the perfect example is somebody like Kaisa. She is, she has this amazing, strong looking, right. Muscular body. And she's also incredibly fit. Like she can do things that just make my jaw drop. She is amazing. And yet, you might see someone who's running a marathon and and I'm thinking of the marathon because in San Diego, the marathon goes right by our house every year and we go out and watch it first thing in the morning with our coffee. <laughs> and awesome. you see people of all body shapes and sizes. Yes. Oh my running gosh. So a marathon. Yeah. Those bodies are all fit for that task. Bigger bodies, smaller bodies, taller bodies, shorter bodies. I mean, you name it. Right. And so I think it's, it's really tricky 
when society again puts that value and says you have a certain aesthetic therefore you must know what you're talking about you must know your stuff as a trainer you must be really good at what you do because you have the aesthetic that goes along with it and i think that's really really tricky and it's worth having that dialogue about what we assume and and that does trickle down to people who are trainers or coaches and they feel like they don't meet society's ideal yeah, so true. So actually, before naming my podcast, I was trying to come up with a name for it. And so I purposeful fitness is I looked up on Google, like, what does actually fitness mean? And exactly what you said, it's not just about the physical body, but it's about the mental state, the spiritual state, all of it together. And that's why I was like, oh, perfect. Like, I can talk about everything I am passionate about. It's not just about physical fitness, but the entire round being. So stuff. You know, I love uh, on your podcast. So your podcast is called Hearts to Kill radio mm-hmm. show. And it's like actually how we met through the Facebook group on podcasting group. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to your episode on Mind Your Own Plate, which is a must listen to. And I want to talk about how can we mind our own plate and what do you mean by that? Mm. Ooh, this is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> here's the interesting thing is that there are so many people who really care about their friends, family, loved ones, right? And they, 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 especially if they're coming from their own health journey, right, where they've improved their health, they've felt the benefits, they have more energy, they have more vitality, they have more focus, they lost the brain fog, they feel stronger, and they're like, this is the best thing ever, And I want to share this with everyone I know. And I want to help everybody I know get this amazing feeling. And I think a lot of that comes. So there there are people who come from a very well-meaning place where they want their friends, family, loved ones to experience what they have felt. And That's probably the hardest thing to do is to convince your friends, family, and loved ones that they should change. Especially if they're not open to the idea, because as your friends, family, and loved ones, you typically know how to best push each other's buttons and your most sensitive spots You know, what is your most vulnerable, what are your most vulnerable things? And oftentimes, if you are the person who's like, I just want to share this with you, this has changed my life. The other person hears, you're not good enough. Why aren't you doing these things? Right. And that can lead to a lot of frustration, arguments, fights, defensiveness. The wall goes up. And then all of a sudden, you're like, but I was just trying to help. So I think, number one, if you are someone who has experienced feeling better in your body and all these things and you want to share with your friends, family, and loved ones, it's best to test the waters and see how receptive that person is to talking about it. And sometimes it's best to not even bring it up unless a person asks you because people are really perceptive. Perceptive, They know they're like, wow, like your skin looks so glowing and clear or you have so much energy lately. What are you doing? Or I noticed that you're like, you've started bringing your lunch from home. What's that all about? And if the person asks, that is your cue to then share, especially because they're receptive to it, right? 
you're not just walking up to them in the break room at work and saying, hey, Ola, looks like your lunch really sucks. You know, you should try to eat this salad like me. I mean, if you did that to somebody, they would look at you like you had three heads and just not, they'd be like, why are you judging me? Right? So see if somebody is receptive. And then on on the flip side, if somebody does come up to you and is judging what's on your plate or is saying, you know, again, kind of like, oh, are you eating healthy again? Or, hey, oh, why are you eating pizza? I thought you were on a diet or I thought you were the healthy person in the in work or whatever the situation is. Know that if somebody comments like that to you in a negative way, it's almost always a reflection of what's going on with that person and their own insecurity. And I know it's hard because you're the brunt, you're bearing the brunt of their annoying, like they're annoying you or you feel like they're judging you, but it's really because they're judging themselves and they see what you're doing and it causes something in them to go, you're not adequate. You should probably be doing some things better for your health. And it's just a function of you showing up and doing what you're doing and you're not doing it to make them feel uncomfortable. You're just living your life, but they feel like they are being judged for it. And so usually they'll react. And so if somebody reacts negatively to your own, you know, healthier attempts, whether that's working out or eating better or saying like, Hey, I can't, you know, I'm going to go home now. You know, you're out on a Friday night or whatever. I'm going to go home now. I got to get some sleep. I'm like, oh, stay longer. What are you, a spoil sport? Like, oh, you're not. Realize that that's about that person. Because if the person was secure with themselves and their own choices, they would not peer pressure you otherwise. So that's the second thing. The third thing that I would say is that unless that person is a nutrition professional or a fitness professional or whatever it is, take what they say with a grain of salt. And I'm not saying that we should just be rude and dismissive of other people. Because again, I think a lot of times people really are trying to help and they're excited about what they're trying and what's working for them. But don't let somebody else's newest, greatest thing that they're doing, you know, like, oh, I'm doing keto or I started doing CrossFit or whatever the thing is. I started doing Orange Theory. And you're like, but I'm over here, you know, lifting weights at the Y and I'm having a great old time. You know, should I be doing what a should I be going to CrossFit? Should I be going to Orange Theory? Or whatever the thing is. Don't let someone else's excitement, you know, misdirect you from a path that's working really well for you. And know that if the person's not a health health professional or they don't have, you know, they're not a a nutrition professional, that they may be well-meaning, but they are not, they're not educated. And I'm not saying that self-education isn't valuable because it is. And We have lots of ways that we can self-educate these days, right? But also the person doesn't necessarily know everything about you and your circumstances and what really is best. So I think, you know, understanding that if somebody's like, hey, we're all doing keto, you should do it too, should maybe give you pause to think, well, you know, I'm. those are just some of the things that I think come up a lot. And then, of course, the last thing would be judgment that's specifically levied on women for eating a particular amount of food. And it tends to show up when women are eating more than, again, you know, kind of going back to diet culture, I always think of it like, you know, you've got a leaf of lettuce and a cherry tomato on your plate. And like you're, you know, we see these generalizations and stereotypes of women who are pushing salad around their plates because they don't want to feel like they're 
eating too much or they're emasculating the man that they're with because they're eating more than he is. And what we see in, in media and on, in movies and all this stuff reinforces the stereotype. So for women, oftentimes they feel like they can't eat enough to fuel their bodies or they're going to do it in private because they don't want anyone to see that they have a healthy functioning appetite. And that's a huge problem. And that goes back to sort of the diet culture world. But I know that when I talked about this on Instagram, I had some women who said, you know, this has happened to me where I've gone to a restaurant and I've been dining with a male friend or a significant other or a parent, my father or whatever, whoever it is. And she will order something like a steak and he will order something like a salad and the server will come back to the table and reverse the plates. Wow. <laughs> and this happened to this, this, a lot of people said that this has, has happened to them. And so I think this is really interesting uh, commentary on, again, where we are culturally as a society, where we are with diet culture overall and what women often feel like is acceptable for them to eat in public and then getting comments from others that reflect the other people's insecurities and taking it personally, like it's something wrong with them. And so then it reinforces the behavior that we should eat less so that we are, you know, we're adhering to society's expectations and norms. And that gets really tricky, especially with women who are trying to um, nourish and fuel their bodies, they're training, they're working out because it often leads to under eating and all of the things that go along with that, which is not a great thing. Yeah, and especially like women who go out on a date or like out with friends, they might get like subconscious, like, oh, I don't want to start to get stuck in my teeth. Like, you know, so, so digitally speaking, there's that too. Like, they're kind of like, oh my gosh, I want to have like, look nice and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but that's interesting, the study you mentioned. Yeah, well, I before we leave, as we get closer, I would like to learn more about how did the core four get created and how did it come together? And what yeah, is it about? That's a, <laughs> such a good question. So again, thinking back to my own personal journey with coming to a place of, of more sort of neutrality and peace in my own body and thinking about the pieces that have played into that, right? It's not just food, as we know, although food is, an, is oftentimes the first thing that people turn to to experience change and, and to make change. So nutrition played a role, fitness played a role, managing my own energy and sleeping more and dealing with stress played a role. And then really addressing my own worldviews and perspectives and mindset and self-limiting beliefs and values that all played a part as well. And so in 2015, I was really thinking about, you know, what is a way that I can start helping my community? Because at the time I was hearing from a lot of people who said, well, Steph, I've, I've been dealing with the nutrition piece for a while, but I, there's more to this story. What else can I do? Or I've, I've really got the nutrition part dialed, but I'm still not feeling great in, in my body or something else is still needs. I want to change it. So what, what else is there? And so I put together a program that incorporated those four things. So eat nourishing foods, move with intention recharge your energy and empower your mindset. And those became the four pillars, the core four. And I call them the core four because they're really at the, at the heart, at the center of 
the sustainable habit change, the sustainable lifestyle changes that people can make. And by the way, not saying that they're all equal or that you're going to do them all equally every single day, but to, to look outside of just food or just fitness, for example, if you've been applying those things and you still feel like there is more to be done, that we need to, we can't just eat perfectly and then let everything else go forever, right? That there are other things that we can use to form a strong foundation. And that there's a lot of other stuff too <laughs> that the program doesn't go into, like faith and spirituality, like uh, emotional resilience, like body image, like you know, a lot of the other things that we talked about, understanding society, under- understanding how uh, we've been socialized and connection and you know community. And there's so much else that goes into it. But really thinking like if we can gather tools from these four pillars, these core four, and keep them in our virtual toolbox, we can dip back into those tools as necessary instead of a restrictive or prescriptive diet or instead of a a prescriptive way of exercising to say, how can we then use that as a framework? Because a lot of people, you know, I don't want people wandering in the wilderness of the internet confused for years either. So Yes, I want people to customize. Yes, people are a bio-individual. Yes, everybody has their own intuition. And what's right for one person is going to be different from what's right for another. But if we don't have a framework to build off of, then sometimes it's just we just keep getting confused and we don't know where to turn and we can never make progress. So that's really what the core four was was founded on. And so over the last four plus years, I've been running this program online a coaching program, and now it's uh, going to be turned into a book. So it's going to hopefully get those four pillars into more people's hands because a book is lower cost, a book is more portable. I mean, a book is in a lot of ways more accessible to other people. And so that's that's going to be coming up is, is a book version of that philosophy so that really we can help women embrace their bodies and own their power, the, the, the innate inner power that they already have and use these four pillars to nourish their bodies and to explore and to grow and to learn, but not from a perspective of punishment and restriction and like we're never enough, but rather the opposite. Yes. Yeah, so tell us about your book. What is it called and where can we pre-order it? Yeah, it's called The Core Four, Embrace Your Body, Own Your Power. You can find it on uh, on pre-order or on sale pretty much anywhere online that sells books. And then, of course, once the book is out on July 30th, you can find it in bookstores. And you can also get pre-order bonuses up until July 30th at core4thebook.com. Awesome. Can't yeah. wait. And tell us where can we find you on and where can we learn more about your work? Yeah, everything that I do really lives on my website, which is stephgaudreau.com. And my Harder to Kill Radio podcast is linked there, as well as all of my social media. I'm most active on Instagram and also in my Facebook group on Facebook. Awesome. So you guys, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode, tag Steph and I on Steph Gaudreau on Instagram and Be Fit for Akira. Tell us one takeaway that you took from this episode and as a summary, make sh- make sure to love yourself, be happy with yourself, find anything you enjoy, 
and work for it and it's a work in progress day in and day out. Is it anything you would like to summarize or mention before we head out? Gosh, I would just say that I I know what it's like to feel like you're stuck in a place where stuff isn't working for you, but with the right guidance, with unpacking and learning and finding those voices we talked about earlier, but like cutting through the noise of all the things that society is telling us and really finding another way by following people like you and by finding the communities that really speak to you and what your goals are and leaving behind what doesn't serve you anymore. I really do. I just see so much potential in so many women. And I, I just have, I, I get so excited that there is so much that they have to give, that they have so many gifts and amazing things to share with the world. And it's it's right there. It's just a matter of finding the right support and the right teachers and coaches to to help them get out of their own way and, and re- release that which no longer serves them. Yes. So you guys, make sure to check her podcast, Harder to Kill. Is that correct, Seth? Yep. Harder to Kill Radio. Radio. And let us know what you take away. And thank you so much, Seth, for your time. And I wish... Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe today and leave a five-star review. You can also screenshot and share this episode with a family or a friend. Be strong. Be fit. Be fit for Akhira.